0: This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to an industrial engineer who is in charge of a NASA project to return soil samples from Mars. I'm Dr. Barrett Caldwell, professor in the School of Industrial Engineering at Purdue University and a member of IISE. I'm also the director of the Indiana Space Grant Consortium and a member of the Apollo 11 50th anniversary mission team at Purdue. Joining us today is Angie Jackman, the project manager for the Mars Ascent vehicle at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Angie is a native of Montgomery, Alabama and began her career as a reliability engineer at the Marshall Center in 1985 after earning a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering from Auburn University. She now leads a team focused on developing a rocket to launch the Perseverance rover's collection of rock and soil samples from the Red Planet into space. She is involved in all aspects of the operation, including engineering design, management, procurement, facilities, and business. Angie, welcome to Problem Solved and I'm glad you're here to speak to our audience of industrial and systems engineers and general space fans.
0: Great. It is good to be here. and happy to um, spend the afternoon with you chatting about space and um, the Mars Sample Return Mission.
1: Oh, it is among our favorite things.
0: <laughs> Excellent.
1: Starting up, growing up in Alabama, what were your initial impressions of NASA and the Marshall Space Flight
0: Center? Uh, you know, I was a... You were going to start with this because I really was not a space nerd. Um, I had to grow into being a space nerd. Montgomery is a, a fair amount of you know distance south of Huntsville, um, and I was you know six when we did the first moon landing. So I was really not that aware, you know, other than the general public you know, awareness. And yeah, I, w- I was an inquisitive kid, but on you know different things. But the the neat thing about uh, Alabama, in every fifth grader, I don't know if they still do it, um, but they used to, that we had the opportunity to come up to the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, and and that was a little bit fascinating. Um, you know, at that age though, you know, I was more interested in the space monkeys. I thought that was the coolest thing. Miss Baker was still alive back then and the size and everything was very overwhelming, but I really never thought, um, you know, that as a career. I thought that was very neat and fun, but, um, you know, my, my world and my family was, you know, there, there weren't any engineers. So I was one of those kids that, you know, really didn't know about engineering and kind of grew into it later. So, if there were no
1: engineers in your family, what initially drew you to major in IE at Auburn?
0: You know, as I've talked to, you know, fellow engineers, as you know, as you do over the last, you know, decades, it, I think is a really common story, but it, it's, you know, a lot of us didn't know engineering, but we, we, we were good in math and we were good in science and, you know, you just kind of go down that path you know, my mom was a microbiologist. My dad was in sales. You know, we, I didn't really have that exposure, I, you know, but I do think, you know, it was just part of my DNA. Um, I had a friend, you know, that I played sports with, you know, she was a year older than me and said, hey, she was going into computer science. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I wonder what, <laughs> I wonder what that's all about. And, and so I, I went to Auburn and that was my first career path or, you know, educational path, I should say. Of course you know the first couple of classes i just went oh no not not for me <laughs> it's a little too you know formulaic for 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 me and you know rule following um and so i gravitated to um you know just friends that were in you know engineering curriculum and you know kind of talked more about with them about what it was industrial engineering and other options and you know industrial just you know kind of fit my my calling and my nature so um I really loved it. I love all aspects of it. You know, it's it's kind of sounding up, you know, a little serendipity, <laughs> but it, I think part of it is just intuition. And, and I think it just fit with me.
1: Great. And I think one thing that's important for the audience to, to realize, especially younger people, is that there's always a question about what's the royal road? What's the specific path? How, how do we get exactly to the end? Exactly. Um, Exactly, and, and you're not you're not telling that uh, royal road sort of story. But following up on that, though, how did you end up at Marshall? I mean, if you weren't a space nerd and you weren't really thinking about uh, working with NASA as a major life choice, how did you end up with Marshall with a bachelor's in IE rather than one of the other engineering focus areas?
0: I ended up just being very lucky um, at the time in the mid '80s. NASA Marshall, in particular, was having a lot of co-ops and was about to do a massive hiring. There's a wave of us that um, all came in together in the mid-80s. Uh, so they came down to Auburn and interviewed. I interviewed in that, but I also knew several folks that were co-ops, and they really enjoyed the work. And, and so it was just really kind of word of mouth, you know, networking uh, kind of discussions that, that brought me to, to Marshall.
1: So you came on board in 1985 as a reliability engineer. Mm -hmm. Let's say the the first 12 months were probably a little bit challenging for you as as you started working through. How did your IE training help you with those early roles at Marshall? And I should say, including looking at the aftermath of the Challenger explosion.
0: Yeah, I I hired uh, in October, uh, about six months prior to the Challenger accident. And as you had mentioned, I was a reliability engineer. Uh, had a great organization and, and they wanted me to start focusing on failure modes and effects analysis. How can the hardware fail and what would happen you know, if it fails certain ways? There was a, a satellite program called Tether Satellite that they wanted me to work on and it wasn't going to fly for six, <laughs> six to eight years. And boy, as a 22-year-old, I just thought that was forever. And so I really wasn't, I was enjoying the work, but um you know, when you work with some other designers, especially young designers, um, they didn't want to bother, you know, with the reliability study. So I was kind of struggling a, a little bit. Um, but then the accident happened in January, you know, and, you know, I got involved in the investigation, just, you know, a, a very minor role in it. But, you know, I, I thought that was just, you know, trying to contribute to, to finding out what happened um, was really impactful. Um, Then when the investigation was over, um, the product or the analysis that they were going to use to get to return to flight was the failure modes and effects analysis and the critical items list. And so they assigned me at all of, you know, 22, 23 years old working on the external tank program. And that really changed my course and changed my uh, career and fell in love with NASA. Because NASA, the complexity uh, and the interactions of that program, that whole space shuttle program, is just mind-blowing and all the details. And so with doing the FEMA CIL, they had to start at ground zero and work through every component. And, you know, we as a team going through all those failure modes. And it, it took, you know, a couple of years to do that, but it, it really... Was a I mean it was a huge tragedy obviously but it really was an experience for me that opened um, my mind up to what NASA did um, the challenges of it the people I got to work with really some of the uh, they were probably my age now but they were you know the graybeards of the day and and got to really learn from them and that was just an amazing opportunity and so it just kind of kind of grew from there and so really as an IE in that world it was really you know, what how does the system work together? You know, you have your specialists in each little discipline, but that, that's really kind of how systems engineering at Marshall works is you're really looking at everybody can deep dive deep on their components because we have very specialized expertise in areas, but you have to raise up and look across them and, and see how do they interact and as they do their individual analysis, does that roll up to tell the story and, and have you ready for you know to return to flight. Does that make
1: sense? Yes, it does. And in fact, it reminds me of my experience probably at the same time uh, as an undergraduate. Systems engineering was maybe that thing that you did if you weren't that much of a specialist, but you weren't so bad that they had to fail you out of the, um, <laughs> of the
0: era program. Right. right.
1: And I'm sort of impressed with the story from the perspective that. NASA has had a long involvement with systems engineering concepts and systems engineering education, Mm -hmm. including the programs at UAH, where you did, in fact, study as well. Right. Given that early experience and uh, given your exposure to the, the Challenger return to flight, how, in your opinion, has systems engineering as a concept changed during your experience at NASA?
0: Yeah, that that's an excellent point, because when, when I go, I've talked to schools before um, about industrial engineering, and uh, a lot of them don't really realize what industrial engineering at Marshall, or not Marshall, at NASA does. Uh, but it, it's very different um, from a lot of how we're trained, in that we produce very few, but very specialized and complex things. You know, we're not about efficiencies. You know, we're not about streamlining um, a process to, to make it, you know, cheaper or, you know, or produce it faster. You know, we're more about optimization. These pieces of hardware or analysis all have to come together and you can't um, optimize for just your particular area. You, you have to look across the system and make sure everything is in balance. And so that's uh, that's really important as a system thinker for what we do. So, you know, we don't really produce a lot of the hardware. You know, our contracts, contractors do most of that. We're mainly a design and engineering center. And and so, you know, industrial engineers or systems engineering is is kind of where industrial engineers, you know, start focusing. Um, You know, we do a lot of requirements and verification work. Uh, We do configuration management, not only you know the the hardware, but the data and the analysis. How does that all come together? Uh, how do you control your configuration? Uh, we do mass properties, you know, because it's very important. Because um, um, launching vehicles, you're you're very much you know the the thrust to, to weight ratio aspect. We we do integration. Uh, we do interface management. So a lot of you know we uh, we work by systems, and so what is the interconnection, either functionally or physically? Between all these systems that had to uh, work together Uh, and and risk management and that the risk is really a tool as a project manager that I really like because I want the team not only focus on what they're doing today, but looking down the road and saying, where's the problem I'm going to have and how do I, you know, it's that thinking ahead part. You know, that can be, you know, when somebody's down in the depths of their analysis, getting the rise back up and, okay, look down the road and say, okay, what if this didn't work? Um, how, do, how do I react to that? So that's one of the things I love watching the team as they, um, they do that. You know, it, it's not a failure to think that way. You know, I really want them, you know, it's not a failure of what they're doing today, but it's just that planning and contingency planning uh, that I want them to, to think about other areas of industrial engineering at at Marshall is uh, a lot of it um, engineering economy. A lot of our folks uh, started out in, um, you know, the resource management offices and have become business managers. Um, We do ergonomics, uh, especially, you know, our payloads work on space station. You know, how do the astronauts work with those payloads safety and mission assurance, reliability, where I came from Uh, statistics, you know, operations research. So, So industrial engineering um, and systems concepts, you know, is really broad and and has a lot of opportunities uh, for what we do. And I think what UAH has done is, um, you know, because we're very similar to the Army in a lot of aspects, and they kind of help us um, develop at a graduate level, you know, those skills and also help us modernize our our tools. You know, one of the things um, we're trying to incorporate now is model-based systems engineering. And so I have a young, uh recent graduate out of UAH working on that. And um but as manager I have to um balance it a little bit. So I, I don't I'm not gonna go all in. I'm gonna make her prove it. <laughs> but I really want her to succeed because I think tools like that uh have huge potential, but I wanna baby step them in.
1: I think you're raising a really interesting element there the tension between, well, I want to do it myself and check the numbers versus, um, Oh, that's right. I need to delegate. Yeah. So what does a week for you look like as a project manager rather than as a specialty engineer at this point?
0: Hmm. (laughs) A week for me is really because the project we're in right now, we're still in formulation. So there is a lot of strategy involved. There is a lot of team building involved. There's a lot of communication uh, making sure people understand what their roles are, that they have to work as a team. Um, Marshall and NASA, I mean, that's how we operate. We operate on teams. We don't operate as individuals. You know, it's, it's a collective process to do these massive missions. And, and so there's a lot of understanding what you do and the value of what you do and how it interacts with somebody else and their analysis and the value of their analysis. So a lot of what I do, setting up that network and setting up, you know, that, you know, relationship with the different groups and a lot of what I do with that is this, the schedule. I mean, it's really a basic tool, but it's a tool that, um, you know, we do, you know, kind of incremental planning. You know, we do it in phases, kind of that rolling wave approach. And so like for the next year, we're right in the middle of what should this next year look like before our next major review? And how do we do that detailed planning? And a lot of that then becomes, here's my work, and I'm dependent on you, and you're dependent, you know, this other person's dependent on me. So, you know, that teaming and the, in the, you know, responsibility for ourselves and understanding that that piece of it. And so You know, it's not quite as sexy, but that's, you know, it's kind of hard to describe what my week is because a lot of it is that uh, the communication and making sure that's happening. And again, like I mentioned before, like on risk or that planning, you know, getting folks to, to step out of their little area and look down the road and make sure what we're doing is kind of helping the mission.
1: I want to circle back to a couple of things that you just said here, especially because a lot of the undergraduate engineers are, are, always argue about, well, why do we have to work on these presentations and all of this? <laughs> um, right. And, and I think one of the things that I found fascinating from your too short resume about too many experiences, you've had a number of different positions on different programs, not just at Marshall, but at other NASA centers, and even some time at headquarters inside the Beltway. What have you learned about working with the other disciplines and groups? And you've really emphasized NASA as a team environment. What did those different rotations, different experiences give you as the best takeaway for working with the other disciplines?
0: Yeah, I have I really enjoyed my time at Marshall and NASA because NASA does give you those opportunities to, you know, if you want to stay in the same area and become a specialist in that area, yeah, absolutely. That That's, you know, your opportunity and your career path. Um, I like a challenge and I like change. You know, that's just kind of how, how I work. And so I've gotten a lot of opportunities uh, to go work on many, many different missions. Um, And really, you know, yeah, like I said, like you mentioned at other centers also. And so whether you're building a spacecraft to go to Europa or performing science on the space station or building rockets like we do at Marshall, you know, understanding, you know, you know, I keep harping on this is, you know, what is your function and the team's function ultimately with the mission in mind? You know, how do all those pieces fit together? and and like you said, you know, people don't like doing presentations, but that's kind of the, the format we use a lot for communication. And how do you take the message out of what your analysis does? And that, that's really something that's, that's a part I always love, too, uh, is teaching the folks, you know, as a manager, I'm not going to check your math. You know, your department should be checking your math. But I want to know what the message is of, out of what you have done, you know, and why do I care about that? Uh, and so a lot of that is the communication and not only, you know, for me, you know, to hear it as a project manager, but why, you know, the other parts of the team, whether it's, you know, a thermal analysis or, you know, the latest triple E parts discussion or, you know, you know, it all has a part, but it all has to um, kind of fit into the, uh, to the larger picture. And, and it all has to, again. I keep harping on that. It has to work together because <laughs> that's kind of you know a, a theme that we have is that you know we've um, at Marshall especially we are very specialized in our disciplines of what we do. You know whether you're you know evaluating turbine blades on an engine or you're doing a thermal analysis on you know something you know that's cryogenic temperatures. It's all very specialized because what we do in our environment is very specialized. Not everybody works in these the lack of gravity or just the forces and thrust that we have to produce in our engines and the temperature extremes when between hot and cold, that's all, you know, very unique. And so, um, they are specialized areas of discipline, but they all have to function together. And so I think that's where, you know, industrial engineers really kind of help. And that's where, you know, as a natural evolution as a industrial engineer into project type work. Okay. I, I, I think I may
1: be hearing a little something about communication here. I, <laughs> Just a little. That, that sounds like a, 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 a very important requirement. And I guess when you're talking about Mars ascent vehicle, I mean, okay, that that would be a critical path sequence to be in charge of getting uh, soil samples off of the Martian surface. What does that feel like? And do you really need to actually motivate people beyond that to want to communicate and work together? Or, or is it just say, we're, we're talking, we're talking Mars dirt. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, it sells itself. It really does. I mean, it's just, you know, and especially working with JPL, they they have a great way of communicating why we do these missions and the complexity of these missions. And, and so for, you know, in and, and the Mars 2020 Rover, uh, perseverance is on its way right now. And, you know, the whole team, you know, watched it remotely, you know, as, as you do, uh, in this time and, and it wasn't required, but everybody just did it because they, they know that's the really important first piece. And that had to, that had to go successfully. And so that was um, very exciting. And, and the other really exciting thing about this mission, the whole sample return, you know, the Mars ascent vehicle is just one small piece of a very complex and challenging mission that all interrelates. And so with the, uh, the Mars 2020 rover, Uh, It's going to land, it's going to do its science, but it's also going to be collecting um, the geological samples, as you mentioned. And they'll be depositing them either on the surface or carrying them with them or putting them in different cache locations, waiting for us to get there. And and so there's a lot of science to be done independently of us for the Mars 2020 rover. But we go um, with two other launches. They're, the Europeans are heavily involved in this mission, and they're going to do the Earth return orbiter, and that's the orbiter that will be circling Mars and waiting uh, to bring the samples back. So we go, as part of the sample retriever lander, uh, we're a payload, and, what, and that's kind of a really odd thing for a rocket person, <laughs> you know, that we're going to be riding horizontally and not vertically you know, as we leave Earth's you know, atmosphere. And, and so a lot of, you know, our, our folks are really struggling with that. But it's, it's just kind of a fun little struggle. But we get brought to Mars and we are landed carefully on the surface. And we um, are there and we're in a little igloo. And they're going to keep us nice and warm and toasty um, because it's cold where we're we going. It's minus 70, uh, but they'll keep us at minus 40 degrees C. Um, but then there's also a little fetch rover that the Europeans are going to build. And they're going to deploy that. And it's going to go pick up those tubes. I love watching that because your system thinking, you know, kicks in is, you know, what samples are most important to them? You know, where are they located? You know, how are they going to get them? You know, the combination between the two different rovers and, and bring them back um, to the, the, the lander and they're going to load them onto Mars. But, you know, that, that's just a little side note of, you know, thinking about the logistics of, you know, and the, and the battles that, you know, are going on about which samples are most important. But um, they're going to then load those samples into the nose cone of us, and then we launch. They're, they're going to toss us in, up in the air, just like if you think, if, you, if you've ever seen a submarine launch uh, of, a, of a missile where it breaks the water, then it ignites. That, that's kind of a little bit, you know, how we're going to do, because that way you really decouple, you know, in the interface. There's no uh, potential for uh, hang-up that you know we would be dragging the lander with us with all our thrust. Uh, yes. Or that um or the or the lander might uh be, get caught up in the plume and would it circle back and impact mm-hmm. us. So it is really kind of a a lot of people really struggle when they think about being tossed in the air, but then you um after you get over your initial, you know, fear and gut reaction, it, it does make sense for them to do that. Um but then we just we um we have a two stage vehicle and we carry those samples in um To orbit, to a predefined orbit. And then that way, the Earth Return Orbiter can rendezvous, collect those samples, they'll clean them and bring them back to Earth. And so, for us as a team, understanding why we're doing this, that, you know, what is the mission? And the mission is the science. You know, the the benefit is we get to really build a cool rocket. (laughs) I mean, it's not that big. I mean, we're only about, we're a little over nine feet tall, so we're not a big rocket. But we're going to be the first rocket, you know, to be launched from another planet. And, and like I said early, you know, that that does sell itself. But, but emphasizing that to the team and communicating that to team and having the team all speak to that language is really important.
1: Wonderful. From where I sit, it sounds like you've turned into uh, definitely uh, enough of a space nerd for, <laughs> yeah. for any yeah. of the groups that I ever sit down with. Um, okay. And, and I by grew the, into it. <laughs> and by the way, for anybody who, who's worried, yes, I do know that the term is regolith. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, nice. You know, what I'm really enjoying from uh, this, you're describing, and we've really been talking a lot about, diversity and communication and inclusion from a lot of different perspectives If you don't mind I, I'd like to make this maybe a little bit more personal and talk about some other aspects of diversity and how you might have seen this concept evolving over your career at NASA in terms of diversity of, of people
0: yeah that's um, it's a great topic that I love because nav needs to be a creative and innovative, mission and, and vehicle, you know. And to get that, I love diversity and having people from all different educational backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, age backgrounds, gender backgrounds, LGBT, it doesn't matter to me. I love the diversity and the ability to bring things from a different perspective into what we're trying to do. And the inclusion part is part of my responsibility to make sure all those voices are heard and that they're given fair opportunity to to be heard and considered. Um, and, And so I really think, you know, that enables innovation and it enables creativity. It's something Marshall really believes and the leaders at Marshall really believe It it just makes us a better center and it makes us a better family. I mean, really, you know, we do talk about Marshall as a family a lot. And I I think that's part of it. And so being respectful of our differences and uh, reaching out uh, to understand that, I think is a big part. When when I started at Marshall, there was that big wave of us being hired. And so there was a lot of females um, being introduced to the workforce that were engineers, which was a little different. And because of this career path that I got to follow, going into an older organization, a lot of times I was the only female and or especially the only female engineer. But having gone through engineering, that was not that different for me. So it isn't, you know, I didn't feel, you know, that uncomfortable with it. But, you know, looking back on it thirty years later, I think it probably helped me because I think most of the the men i w- were working with looked at you know me as their daughter <laughs> and and so I think there was a lot of nurturing you know of me and and trying to enhance that so uh it's it's been really fun to watch um Marshall grow in this area and, but I think um again, like I say, I think it's it's something we we obviously embrace. But I think with that is there's been a growing curve at Marshall because we were historically a very hierarchical organization, um, and it's grown much more into an inclusive organization. So I think it's really made us healthier and more innovative.
1: Very nice, and and, and I think it, it it's interesting uh, as you're describing it. I, I believe you said something about your student working on model-based systems engineering is, is also female. Yes, and. I I get the sense that she would have a very different experience because, and and I admit that I was surprised, looking at the number of female engineers, female industrial engineers in crucial leadership roles at Marshall, like Jody or Lisa, or or, can you tell me a, a bit more about, for people who don't understand NASA titles, can you tell me about the range of the project roles that somebody like a Judy Singer or Lisa Watson Morgan would have?
0: Yeah. Um, so Jody Singer is our center director uh, and she has been in that role a couple of years now. She was the deputy before that. And she's just had a um, ever evolving and, you know, increased responsibility as she has you know grown. She was in the external tank uh, project off also, and she was a resource analyst. And, and so she was not in what Marshall is known as for your hardcore engineering disciplines. You know, she was not a propulsion engineer that analyzed the stress on a, <laughs> on a particular piece of hardware. But what she does and what she's able to do, and same with Lisa, they are system thinkers. And, and so they can uh, make sure all the pieces, whether it's uh, the institutional side of the house or the engineering side of the house or a particular project, make sure they're all functioning to the same drum and to the same path that, that the leadership wants. And so it's, um, it, it's really quite fun, uh, watching her, her growth and her pattern, um, and her career path. And it, it's, she does very well at it. She's very strategic and she knows herself and she knows her strengths and weaknesses, And so, um, and so she, you know, surrounds herself with people that, that balance her out, which is really, you know, what you want in a, in a manager and not the pretense that they can do it all. Uh, Lisa is also, uh, she's a PhD in industrial engineer and she's heading up the, uh, human lander, uh, for the Artemis missions. And so also again, a very, uh, extremely responsible position. A very large program, a lot of contractor involvement, a lot of uh, other centers involvement. So it's a, it's a very, again, another one of our big complex missions. Um, but then, you know, like I said, there's, um, you know, business managers, you know, there's procurement specialists, there are uh, industrial engineers, uh, just kind of fit in a lot of different places. But I'll, I'll tell you the story that um, my husband is one of uh, the managers at Marshall. And You know, the the engineering organizations were coming up with um, the staffing plans and the new hires and who they wanted to hire. And of course, it was, you know, aerospace engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, and there were no industrial engineers on the list. And they just hmm, scratched their head and they looked around. And and Jody's an industrial. uh, My husband's a scientist. There was a physicist in the room, and uh, I think a computer scientist were the four leaders at the center. And they went, huh. (laughs) <laughs> you know if we're also looking to hire the future leaders of the center and the future thinkers and the system thinkers, we need industrial engineers. So I thought that was a it was a fun and it, I didn't influence him at all on that decision it was you know <laughs> completely independent from you know their perspective and I thought that was it was a, I love telling that story.
1: That's fantastic and and I think it it does speak to the skill set that you bring and not just the name of the discipline. And I think that's a really important lesson for a lot of us to think about, as well as the emphasis on systems thinkers and people who can see and connect the different pieces. This is wonderful uh, stuff. I do have to ask you one more question. Um, yes. I don't know if this is, is sensitive or concerning, but where does the senior management come down? Roll Tide or
0: War Eagle? <laughs> Again, uh Jody is an Alabama graduate, but she knows that she needs to balance that. So she uh she maintains neutrality um publicly, but I'm sure there's a, a lot of red and white in her uh her home.
1: <laughs> well that I I'm glad to hear that the rivalry does not take over the uh unified and and the coherent focus on the mission success right angie this was a fantastic fascinating discussion and i'm sure our audience is eager to learn more about mars because of you and your team's effort at nasa thank you so much for joining us today
0: thank you i enjoyed it very much Um, and look for our, our launch in 2026
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the
0: Institute's website, www.iise.org.